0: you are listening to leaders and legends a podcast featuring some of indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state our communities and us join us as we discuss their imprint on our history leaders and legends is brought to you by veteran strategies incorporated your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations media relations public outreach crisis communications and digital photography My name is Robert Bain, principal of Veteran Strategies, former deputy chief of staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and communications director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction. The Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood caterpillar dealer. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Fahad Nazar. It's our great honor to meet him today. He was referred to us by some friends who a lot of you know, and it's not uh, the typical podcast. We're going to release it on a Thursday, but uh, is a great opportunity to talk with him. He has a terrific career and currently serves as the official spokesperson for the embassy of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia in Washington, D.C., and not only that, he is also incredibly intelligent because he's a political science undergrad, like the host of Leaders and Legends. Mr. Nasr, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you very much for having me. And I hope I can uh, live up to that uh, billing. (laughs) Well, how
0: long have you been in the United States Uh, reading through your bio and and seeing your educational background? It appears you spent a lot of time here in the States.
1: I did, yeah. I actually went to uh, attended high school and college here. I attended the United Nations International School in uh, New York City. Uh, I'm not going to tell you when I graduated, but uh, <laughs> Give uh, a and, I also, and I also uh, got received a Bachelor of Arts from New York University in New York City as well.
0: Were you at Saint John's University, and that's where you received your master's degree in political science? Were you right, at Saint?
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I, I did also receive a master's. I also worked on a PhD for uh, at Catholic University here in Washington D.C. Unfortunately, I never quite got to finish or even to start my dissertation. But it's uh, it's on my uh, it's on my bucket list, as they say.
0: <laughs> now, were you at Saint John's at the same time? And I'm not trying to date you. I think you and I are roughly the same age. But uh, were you there when Chris Mullen and Walter Berry and Bill Winnington and all those great St. John's teams of the mid-80s were out and about?
1: I think uh, that was a little before my time, a few years before. Uh, but St. John's has always had a great basketball team. And uh, and I followed it when I was there. But those guys, yeah, were a few. I'm afraid you're a couple of years older than me, I'm afraid.
0: Mr. Nazer, what made you decide to major in political science? It's it's kind of a catch all major. A lot of us do it because we think we're going to get a Ph.D. or go to law school or uh, another sort of liberal arts springboard education. Why did you choose political science? And if you have a couple of philosophers or if there's a part about the political science uh, curriculum that you enjoyed, please share it. Well,
1: that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> Well, my, uh, my late father was a career diplomat uh, who worked at the Saudi Foreign Ministry for many years, so that was certainly a factor. Um, attending the United Nations International School also allowed me to interact with many of the uh, children of uh, UN diplomats, and that I think further increased my interest in diplomacy, in international relations, in international organizations. So it Made perfect sense for me to to pursue that and in retrospect. I really am glad that I that I did because it allowed me to uh, To be in this position as spokesperson at the Saudi embassy here in Washington and I was you know, I welcomed the uh, the the appointment as soon as I uh, you Know as soon as, as, I, as I heard uh, Because of the fact that I'm a strong believer in the importance of Saudi-U.S. relations. I think this is a mutually beneficial relationship that has not only endured, but it has continued to grow and to deepen and to strengthen over the past 75 years And they're both Republican and Democratic administrations, I might add. So I really relish the opportunity to go on shows just like this one to, uh, to talk about the importance of the relationship not only to Saudi Arabia, but also to the United States, and to stress the fact that it's been mutually beneficial, as I said, to the national security interests of both countries, I would say. Um, And it's been good for the region overall.
0: The United States and Saudi Arabia, to the point that you just mentioned, have an interesting history going back decades. And I remember being a kid, and reading a story about how Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill were meeting with the king of Saudi Arabia. And my history may be a little off. I haven't read the story in probably 40 years. So correct me. And um, um, Churchill gave the, the king a Rolls Royce as a present. This is in the middle of World War II. And uh, Roosevelt, not to be undone or uh, to be uh, outdone i should say uh, arranged for a a dc3 or c47 plane to be presented as a present to the king of saudi arabia or the king of the saudis are, are you aware of that story is that something that's in the folklore of saudi arabian history and do you think it's a sort of a microcosm of the wooing of the arabian peninsula by the west going all the way back to world war ii
1: right so this past february 14th marked the 75th anniversary of that very first meeting between the late king abdulaziz al-saoud Saud, is the founder of modern-day saudi arabia and the late president franklin delano roosevelt aboard the uss quincy as you said so a lot has been written about the uh that historic meeting between between these uh, legendary figures. Um, And what is interesting is not only did they get along very well, but that that meeting really was the the beginning of a a great relationship that has continued, as I said, for the past 75 years, and it has continued to strengthen and to broaden and to deepen on, on multiple levels. I would say that the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States, is uh, really multidimensional. It has a political component, it has a military component, there's a counter-terrorism component that is a strong pillar of the relationship, there's an economic component, and not to be overlooked, there's a people-to-people component that is also very, very important. So as we speak, we have roughly 50,000 Saudi students studying in the United States. Now they're all here to attain a formal education, but many of them also take time to give back to their local communities. So they're using their volunteering, their time to spend time at uh, soup kitchens, for instance, or at retirement communities. Some have even helped out some communities recover from natural disasters, as was the case a few years ago after Hurricane Katrina. So this is a, a great relationship, it's mutually beneficial. And we certainly look forward to it continuing to grow and to deepen well into the future.
0: If, if you had to, if you were in front of a thousand Americans, multi-generational Americans who may or may not pay attention to international affairs uh, in any way, and you had to uh, address two or three misconceptions about Saudi Arabia which two or three would you choose?
1: Well, there's a few, but I will start by focusing um, on the fact that we work very, very closely together on counterterrorism. So the, this, this is, as I said, is uh, one of the pillars of the relationship. In many ways, Saudi Arabia has been at the forefront of the international community's effort to counter terrorist groups for many years the kingdom has used every means at its disposal to counter the men the mindset and the money that allow al qaeda isis and other terrorist groups to recruit followers and to threaten not just entire communities but even entire nations i think that it's important for your listeners to uh, realize that the, the you know terrorists who have struck the united states and england and france and other countries have also targeted Saudi Arabia on multiple occasions. They have targeted our leadership, they have targeted our military personnel, and even our holiest religious institutions in Mecca and Medina on multiple occasions. So counterterrorism between the two countries has been crucial. It has been a linchpin of the relationship, and it has advanced the uh, national security interests of both nations, but it has certainly, I would say, uh, helped save the lives of thousands of both Saudis and Americans.
0: Saudi Arabia seems to be both geographically and perhaps philosophically right in the, the center, the middle of, of not only the Arabian Peninsula, of course, but the Middle East as a whole. Is that how Saudi Arabia sees itself in the sense of let us work with you so that we can work together with everyone both in the Middle East and outside.
1: So, right. So Saudi Arabia has been blessed to be the home of the two holiest sites in Islam. And it is also the birthplace of Islam. So that has been a plus, a blessing, but it also comes with a certain responsibilities and expectations. And it does put us in a unique position in the Islamic world so people expect us people in the Muslim majority countries expect us to lead and whenever we can we certainly do that. We are also uh, blessed to uh, to be a relative, relatively wealthy nation. We have b- been blessed with natural resources, especially oil and so we have used some of these resources uh, as you alluded to help bring stability and prosperity, to not only the Middle East, but also the broader, broader Muslim community. So whenever possible, we have used our uh, good offices. We have tried to mediate, resolve some of the disputes around us. We have used some of our um, wealth to help some of the uh, neighboring nations uh, through financial assistance and uh, things uh, along those lines. So yes, we are. We are. I think uh, blessed to be in that position. But with that position comes a lot of responsibility, and uh, we welcome the responsibility. Any, we take every chance we can to uh, to bring stability and prosperity to the region because we think those two things often go hand in hand.
0: You are listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. It is our great honor to speak with Fahad Nazir the official spokesperson for the embassy of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia in Washington, DC. He's a political science major who's going to finish his dissertation one day. He promises us it's his, it's his retirement present to himself. I think, right? You were, let me say it a different way for many people, perhaps their first real immersion and understanding of the supreme role Saudi Arabia plays not only in the Middle East, but in war and peace throughout the world came with its stout commitment to the United States and coalition forces in the Persian Gulf war in the early 1990s when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, And President George H.W. Bush said this would not stand, this will not stand, excuse me. He could not have said that, in my view, without the help and backing and support of Saudi Arabia and its ruling family and government. Looking back on that, are the Saudis proud of their role in helping preserve Kuwait's freedom and ejecting uh, those forces from their invasion and standing kind of, as the best way to put it, a, a beacon of stability in an otherwise, perhaps in, in, sta- in a uh, unstable place.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, Kuwait is not only our neighbors, it is one of our uh, closest allies and partners in the region. Uh, but I think I'm old enough to remember the Gulf War very well. And uh, I completely agree with you. I think that moment was a testament to how closely Saudi Arabia and the United States uh, work together. It was a testament to the, uh, to the partnership and to the alliance because, and I don't use the word alliance uh, loosely, but I think that is, that is what it was because our forces, as you said, stood and fought side by side to expel the invading troops of Saddam Hussein from Kuwait and incidentally that was not the only time that saudi and us forces fought by side uh, fought side by side together so that was the first time but then we did it again more recently in 2014 when uh, again we worked closely together our troops fought side by side to expel the terrorist group isis from syria and iraq so you know these are two incidents where our troops fought together to uh, against our common foes and I think that is a testament to the strength of the relationship and to the fact that we have not only mutual interests, that we but that we face many of the same threats and concerns and we have for a long period of time.
0: I'm currently reading a book by an author named Jay Winnick and it's about the uh, decade 1790 to 1800. And part of it deals with the war between Russia and Catherine the Great and the Ottoman empire. And the author makes a point to write, it's a brilliant book. It's terrific to make the point of how much the Arab and Muslim world, its culture, its technology, its inventions have both influenced and changed. Uh, Western technology, culture, and science. Is that a, is that a point of pride for you and, and for your, your fellow countrymen and, and everyone who studies history of that region to say, you know, you may not have paid much attention to us, but, uh, you use both our math, science, knowledge, and technology every single day in your ordinary lives.
1: Right. I mean, I think that as Arabs and as Muslims, we are proud of our history. We have, there's a lot to learn, not just from our history, but there's a lot to learn from the history of other countries and other civilizations. That's very important. That That's one of the things that have been highlighted by Vision 2030, which was unveiled by His Royal Highness, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, 2016. So uh, if you allow me, I'd I'd like to talk a little about that. And while it does, part of the vision uh, uh, includes a revival in our uh, heritage and our history, but more broadly, it is really focused on on the future. So um, it is an economic, it's a package of economic and social reforms that I said was unveiled in 2016 its ultimate objective is to reduce the kingdom's economy's dependence on oil revenues and to reduce the size of the public sector by empowering the public sector. And in that process, one of the things that we have put a high premium on is, is science, technology, ingenuity, innovation, and frankly, thinking outside the box. So um, we are very much, Saudi Arabia is population is predominantly young. 70% is under the age of 30. So we have a young, well-educated, well-engaged, well-informed population that, uh, as I said, our history is very, very important to me, We're to us. We are very proud of our history, but we are also very much focused on the opportunities and challenges ahead of us. And we are focused certainly uh, into the future, by working again not just with the with the United States but with co- other countries around the world, because we we see um, nothing but opportunities ahead of us and this vision 2030 really encapsulates um, the vision of not just our leadership but I think the overwhelming majority of of uh, Saudi youth who uh, as I said they're well educated they're engaged with their counterparts ar- around the world and they want to See how they can not only improve the uh, the lives of their fellow Saudis, but also to improve the human condition more broadly across the world. Because it's important
0: to to look beyond for for any country, and let's let's stick with Saudi Arabia for obvious reasons. It's important to look beyond beyond the oil wells and the oil fields. There is so much more to offer outside of that. And unless you make it a point to study and understand all the other things that Saudi Arabia has to offer, you can get into this narrow mindset and your discussion of vision 2030, one of the things that I know you as a country have gotten some very strong and well-deserved publicity is on women's empowerment. Why explain to us, please, the Leaders and Legends podcast audience, why that is so important and what beyond just changing certain things Saudi Arabia hopes to, hopes to realize from a push on woman empowerment?
1: Right. So I think that Saudi Arabia has made great strides towards achieving greater gender equality, especially over the past five years or so. Our leadership has made it very clear that the future of the kingdom depends on providing women with both the opportunities to succeed both at home and at the workplace. So over the, you know, some of the reforms that have been enacted over the past five years have um, allowed women to work in every sector of the economy. They can travel, they can vote, they can run for office, they have equal pay. Um, you've read some of the you know so there's been some articles about the guardianship system but that has essentially been dismantled to allow women a, 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 an opportunity to succeed both at the works workplace and at home um you know women represent some 50% of the saudi population and our the the our future really does depend on on their success and this has been not only realized by us but the world bank released its annual Women, Business, and the Law report back earlier in the year, and it ranked Saudi Arabia as the most improved nation in the world with respect to making uh, reforms related to women. So this is very, very important to us. And this goes back to one of the questions you asked me, one of the misperceptions, the most common perceptions about uh, the kingdom. And I would have to add uh, the, the status of women as being uh, among those at, at the top of the list, I think people have, unfortunately, some people. I, I don't want to generalize. Have a very outdated, uh, inaccurate picture of Saudi women, uh, and really the only way to, to uh, you know, realize what's going on ultimately is to come to Saudi Arabia, and they'll see for themselves that women occupy a very important role, not just in the private sector, but they have major. Uh, positions in the public sector, including, incidentally, our ambassador right here in Washington, D.C., is the first Saudi uh, woman ambassador, Her Royal Highness Princess Rima bin Bandar. And, um, you know, she has been great, and she is one of uh, many Saudi women who are playing an important role in shaping the future of the country.
0: Thank you very much for mentioning that. Uh, One other part I wanted to talk about, I know we have just a few minutes left, is is the emphasis on, on athletics and culture when it comes to, I don't want to overstate and say changing the mindset of people towards Saudi Arabia, but, but that cannot be dismissed. And whether someone has a narrow view, uh, unfortunately or a wider more philosophical and inclusive view of Saudi Arabia, some of the, Uh, events and some of the projects taking place or will take place in your country are phenomenal. You don't necessarily uh, think Saudi Arabia when you think uh, Monster Jam or uh, WWE wrestling. How important is it to you to have events like that to the country to say, look, you know, we can laugh and smile and have a great time, too. And we do the same thing that everyone else does.
1: Right, that's exactly right. As I said, Saudi Arabia's population is, is fairly young. Over 70% are under 30. They uh, v- are very well connected in terms of uh, having access to information through satellite television and, more importantly, the Internet. Uh, social media is very big in Saudi Arabia, whether it's Twitter, YouTube, or any of these other social media platforms. So they are well aware of uh, the cultures of other countries. They, a lot of them are very well-traveled. For a number of years, uh, frankly, we had limited entertainment options inside Saudi Arabia. But as, uh, you know, tourism, encouraging to, tourism and entertainment are two of the sectors that are will be the key to the success of Vision 2030. And this, the credit goes to His Royal Highness Crown Prince, Prince Mohammed bin Salman for realizing that Saudi Arabia has a lot of hidden treasures and gems that us Saudis, before anybody else, need to explore and to realize and to visit. And that has already begun to pay dividends as we have seen an increase in domestic tourism uh, last year. But just as importantly, we have opened up uh, the kingdom, we have issued a a tourist visa now, and we have had hundreds of thousands of people go in to, uh, to visit and to see what the kingdom has. To offer and not just to explore our natural uh, sites and our um, pre-Islamic sites as well, but also to, to attend some of these entertainment events, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, hip-hop concerts or um, or classical music or wrestling or uh, movie uh, awards or festivals. The whole point of Vision 2030 is that it, it provides a choice for people. So. Obviously, Saudi Arabia is a big country. Not everybody uh, wants to to attend music concerts or festivals. But for those who do, and it's a very, very big segment, that option is there. You don't need to travel anymore. Uh, You are in that way. You're generating jobs in not just the entertainment sector, but also uh, uh, in the domestic tourism sector. So Vision 2030 really is very visionary. Uh, And people who have been to the kingdom, especially in recent years, are struck at the pace how quickly things have changed for the better. They are struck by how many more options they have, not just in terms of uh, entertainment, but even just going out to to a mall or or restaurants or parks. And we have a number of uh, great projects that are currently underway, including what will become the first smart city to be created from scratch, what we call uh, NEOM. And again, all the credit goes to His Royal Highness Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who um, I should add, I'd be remiss if I didn't say a couple of words about him, because I think he is not, not enough is known about him in the West or in the US. But uh, the Crown Prince is, is young. He is essentially the same age as the majority of Saudis. He has spent his entire life in Saudi Arabia, so he understands the kingdom's history very well. He's a student of history, I would add. He speaks with refreshing candor about, frankly, the mistakes of the past, the challenges of the present, but he also speaks with unrivaled enthusiasm about the opportunities ahead and about the potential of Saudi youth. And that, to a great extent, is why he is so popular not just among Saudis, but especially among young Saudis, because he speaks their language and he speaks to them and he represents a new kind of leader.
0: You mentioned the effort to transform Saudi Arabia's economy, uh, to move away from fossil fuels to a an extent. What other sorts of, of economic engines Does Saudi Arabia have that the listener just simply may not be aware of?
1: So, yeah, so we do see, as I said, we see a lot of potential in domestic tourism. Uh, The kingdom has a lot of great sites um, that Saudis and non Saudis have begun to explore. Tourism, as you know, is very labor intensive. So, that has the potential to employ hundreds of thousands of Saudis. The same goes for the entertainment uh, sector. There's great potential. In the mining sector, there is potential. In um, <clears throat> sorry, there's also potential in uh, in uh, internet technology and in, uh, the technology sector. There's potential in in housing, in medical, the medical field. We, is has always been at the top of our um, priorities in terms of developing state of the art. Uh, medical institution that that will continue uh, going forward. The same goes for for housing the same goes for education We are looking for uh, we, we like I said, we have a fairly well-educated edu- uh, population and we are looking to Develop every sector of the economy that has not been developed to its full potential over the years because of the fact that we have frankly uh, focused a little too much on the energy sector, and again, our leadership has uh, has acknowledged that and has said that you know our the energy sector is important to the economy and it will be for the foreseeable future. But there has to be more to Saudi Arabia's economy than just oil. Now, having said all of that, oil is important for our economy and it will be for the foreseeable future. And as we have seen in recent weeks. Oil will continue to be important for the global economy, and the kingdom has actually orchestrated what was a historic OPEC Plus meeting on April 12th, with uh, which reduced global oil production by some 12.5 million barrels a day, and that has begun to pay dividends as we're beginning to see now with a significant increase in the price of oil. So, oil is an important important global commodity not just for Saudi Arabia, it's obviously important for the United States. And the kingdom is doing everything it can to help stabilize that global commodity and that global market.
0: And anyone who's studied any history, I took a class in graduate school, it was roughly focused on the history of medicine. Any study of the history of medicine will put you deep into the Middle East and, and the Arab world and the Islamic world true pioneers when it came to treating uh, their fellow human beings that way. Uh, just a couple more questions because I know you have to go, but one of the thing I want to ask you about is is do you believe Saudi Arabia will be will remain a leader in its own right, but that the Vision 2030, other countries, like-minded countries, to follow uh, Saudi Arabia's path and maybe make some of these changes and include not only economic diversification, but also female empowerment?
1: Yes, we do. We absolutely, I think there's great enthusiasm in the kingdom for Vision 2030 because of the fact that it really is focused on not just the present, but it's focused on the future. In many ways, it is uh, looking at our economy in a a whole new way. It is being led by Saudi youth uh, and young people, starting with His Royal Highness, uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. But if you look at some of the institutions that are leading this transformation, you're going to see that they are predominantly young. The leadership is predominantly young. And you're also having a lot of women in important decision-making Uh, positions. So this bodes very well, certainly, for the vision inside the kingdom. And we do hope that it will inspire others, other countries in both the Arab world and the broader Muslim world, because we strongly believe that stability, political stability, and economic prosperity go hand in hand. We have Saudi Arabia maintains great relations, strong relations with The overwhelming majority of countries around the world, not just in the Middle East, not just in the Muslim world, but also in in the West, starting with the United States. But we also have great relations with the United Kingdom and France and others. So this is our vision. It is one that is built on political stability, and we do this multilaterally. We work with our partners to Many of the challenges that we face are global in nature, so this they require global solutions. So we always look to our partners and our allies. We look to international organizations, multilateral organizations, including the United Nations, to come up with solutions to resolve the ongoing political uh, issues and conflicts in the region and beyond. We also work very closely with our partners and with international organizations, including the World Bank and the IMF, and others to help push global prosperity, because we really do live in a in a global economy. I think we see examples of this every day. And what happens with the, I think what has happened with the global oil prices is just the latest reminder that we really do live in a global economy. And what happens in one country and one commodity cannot just be controlled or addressed by one country. Many of the challenges we face are global in nature and, and require global solutions. So that's that's our vision. I think we will succeed inside Saudi Arabia and we hope to inspire others to uh, to follow that same uh, route and that same path as well.
0: As, as we end the Leaders and Legends podcast, we started talking a little bit about uh, your experience in the United States, your education and uh, attending college and graduate school. So let me give you a, a chance here before we close and just if you'd like, Speak generally, or maybe with a specific example, of your impression of the United States and of Americans. You must have met thousands upon thousands of us during your time here. Please talk a little bit about what you think of our country and our people.
1: Right. So it's, it's been an absolute privilege for me to, to have lived in the United States for as, as long as I have. Uh, Americans are are great people. We appreciate their their history, their uh, their culture. Obviously, American culture is very popular in Saudi Arabia. Uh, as you said, every you know every pop star, singer, actor you know these are household names in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we over the years, hundreds of thousands of Saudis have come to the United States to attain their uh, education, to do some training. Some have come for even for medical treatment. Over the years, especially the ones who have spent some time here, have treated, as I said at the outset, have treated the United States as their second home. They have treated some of their classmates and neighbors as an extended part of their family. They have continued to be, and this is the same, I think, this goes both ways, so Saudis who have lived in the United States as well as Americans who have lived in the kingdom have been a linchpin of this relationship. They have made sure that it continues to strengthen and to endure, uh, because, as I said, they they know firsthand that despite some of our differences, we really do have a lot more in common than we do differences. It is not just about common interests in terms of geopolitical or economic interests, but at the the heart of it, and and I speak maybe personally here, but I've been fortunate enough to have lived in many countries around the world, because as I said, my my late father was a diplomat and we moved around quite, quite a lot. But I know, I think I know for a fact, that human beings everywhere really do have a lot more in common than they have differences. At the end of the day, we all want to live in peace. We all want prosperity. We want to live in dignity. And Saudi Arabia, I think, is doing everything it can to uh, to promote these values, both inside, not just in the kingdom, not just inside the Arab world, but also across the broader Muslim world. And it's also, you know, it, evidenced by the fact that we really do have great relationships with countries that are really geographically, at least very far from us. Uh, and the United States is is one one great example. Yet, the relationship has continued to endure and to strengthen and to deepen over the years. And, you know, I certainly am looking forward to this relationship continuing well into the future.
0: My final question is, you mentioned something that you mentioned a few seconds ago, that there's much more that we have in common than, than what divides us. Unfortunately, one of the things we have in common these days is COVID-19. In the coronavirus, how well, are the United States and Saudi Arabia working together to make their people safe and find a, not necessarily a solution, but a, a coordinated response to this devastating pandemic?
1: Right. So, you know, the kingdom is doing everything it can, certainly to protect the health and well being of. Saudi citizens and residents in the kingdom, including the thousands of Americans who live in the kingdom. So our leadership determined very early on that Corona had the potential to be a pandemic, the likes of which we had not seen in in a very long time. And by we, I mean the international community. So we, the kingdom acted very early, it acted quickly and it acted decisively. We acted a number of precautionary preventative measures to make sure it doesn't spread. Uh, That included the closing of all schools and universities. We suspended international and domestic flights. We also instituted a curfew in most major cities. And perhaps the most difficult decision was suspending visits to the holy mosques in Mecca and Medina. But all of these steps were absolutely necessary, and we have been very successful At containing this virus, Uh, looking at you know more broadly beyond the kingdom, it happens that 2020 happens to be the year when the kingdom is actually has the chairmanship of the G20 group, and in our capacity as as a president of that group, we convened a special virtual summit in March to focus the world's attention on this pandemic and to establish a more coordinated response. So after the the uh, summit, the countries involved resolved to share critical information for one that will help us understand how the virus spreads and by extension will help us better understand how to stop it. They agreed to share um, uh, material and uh, agreed to also uh, expand more of their, their economies towards research and development. The kingdom itself has pledged $500 million to support the global effort to help with the emergency preparedness, to help with developing new diagnostics, um, therapeutics, and vaccines. Uh, There's three different international organizations that we committed to that this $500 million. This will obviously, hopefully, will uh, not just impact uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, but the broader international community, obviously, including the United States. We actually, as we speak, I don't have the exact figure, but there's a few hundred saudi doctors working at various medical institutions and hospitals in the united states the number internationally is about 6000 saudi doctors who have elected to stay mm. in about 40 countries around the world or so they were there for uh, working on internships and when that they elected to stay in those countries to help with those various countries deal with the with the various corona outbreaks including here in the United States so this goes back to the uh, idea that that I mentioned earlier that this is more about more than just about shared interests but frankly this is I think about shared values the Saudi doctors that are in places as as varied as you know Germany the UK and the United States are there out of a commitment uh, and a dedication and a realization that this is indeed a pandemic in every sense of the word, and that they have a commitment as doctors to treat people not just uh, inside Arabia, but they're doing it here, regardless, obviously, of, uh, of whatever differences uh, we might have. So, you know, this is just one, one small example of, um, you know, the, the shared interests, the shared responsibilities, and the shared values that, uh, that I hope I underscored today.
0: You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group. The McGinleys Golden Ace Inn and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been Bahad Nazer, official spokesperson, the Embassy of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in Washington, DC. It's been an honor, sir. We'd love to have you back on if there's anything else you want to talk about, and we are very grateful for your time.
1: For that pleasure is all mine. I really I appreciated our talk, and uh, hopefully you'll have me on again to continue this conversation.
0: Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com.